the angry tenor. <laughs> Hello, I'm your host, John Sayers, and I am the Angry Tenor. Just a reminder, the Angry Tenor goes live every Monday evening at 7 p.m. That's every Monday evening, 7 p.m., new episodes of the Angry Tenor. I just read an article about German opera houses, rating them for, well, I don't know how they rated them, but I have my own ratings, based on my personal inspection, many from the stage side and many from the audience side of the theater, that I would like to share with you. Germany has 83 opera houses, or perhaps a better name for most of them is theaters. Every one of the 83 opera houses is owned by the state, and puts on a full season of operas, plays, etc. By contrast, in the USA, the Metropolitan Opera is the only house with a full 52-week season, but the Met also takes a break, so it is not really a full 52 weeks. That being said, German opera houses are home not only to opera, but also Schauspiel or legit theater, operetta, ballet, and concerts by the pit orchestra. So only part of the season is occupied by the opera portion. Add to this a six-week vacation period every summer. Each house takes the vacation period of the region where it's located, and it's really not a full 52-week season, but almost. German theaters offer tickets at a much lower price than American houses, especially those charged by the Metropolitan Opera, Date nights for young people are quite common in Germany and almost non-existent in the United States, and almost all opera houses have regular programs for children. And now, here are a few of my favorite German opera houses. The Richard Wagner Festival Theater in Bayreuth is one of Germany's most famous opera houses and was built by one of its most famous composers, 
as a shrine to his particular vision of how his work should be performed. Having rich friends is a wonderful thing, and in 1876 his theater opened on top of Green Hill in an architectural style that combines classical Greek and medieval German styles. Tickets are enormously difficult to come by and ruinously expensive. Seats are desperately uncomfortable and performances last between three and seven hours. But the acoustics of the 1900-seat house, both for performer and listener, are extraordinary. Brick walls give the theater its own reflective quality, and a covered pit means that, despite the heavy orchestrations associated with Wagner, the orchestra does not drown out the singers. But the most beautiful Rococo-style opera house in, well, I would say the entire world, is the Margraval Opera House in downtown Bayreuth. Still in possession of its original wood and canvas, the sumptuous Margraval Opera House in Bayreuth is the only place left in the world where opera-goers can hear shows as they would have sounded in the 18th century. The Festspielhaus of Wagner is certainly the main attraction in Bayreuth, but it is only in summer, while the Margraval House is open the rest of the year. Its Rococo style and furnishings are beyond imagination, and in order to really appreciate it, you have to see it in person. The Hessische Staatstheater Wiesbaden is one of my favorite theaters. Its Rococo architecture is overshadowed only by the theater in Bayreuth, and I don't mean the Wagner Festspielhaus. Built in neo-baroque style by the famous Viennese architects Ferdinand Fellner and Hermann Helmer, construction of the theater was initiated and financed by Emperor Wilhelm II, and opened in his presence in 1894. As I reported in an earlier episode, the interior was later reversed to make it easier to access the casino after a performance. The Bayerische Staatsoper in Munich was nearly destroyed by Allied bombs in 1943. It reopened again in 1963 with its famous eight-column portico, ready to receive and produce great opera once again. The rebuilding of the Opera House was achieved, as was most of downtown Munich, by using the rubble of the destroyed buildings as the foundation of the rebuilding. There are two Opera Houses in Frankfurt. The Frankfurt Oper, located in a glass structure that also has separate theater for legit theater and a recital hall, and the Alta Oper, or the Old Opera House which in my opinion is by far the best venue in Frankfurt. Now I've sung in the Frankfurt Oper, 
and it's, well, okay. But the Alta Oper, which once faced the wrecking ball and was saved by the efforts of concerned citizens who did not want to see this classic and most stunning opera house disappear, now features visiting opera companies and variety acts of all kinds, including many pop stars. Not to downplay the Frankfurter Oper, which puts on amazing productions with world-class singers and stage directors. The Carmen I sang there was directed by Franco Zeffirelli. It just lacks the old-world charm of the Alta Oper. Staatsoper in Berlin, the Deutsche Staatsoper, in the time that I was there, was in East Berlin, has functioned as the official court opera for Prussian royalty since 1741. While Germany was still divided, I was invited to audition here. What a show that was. I was met at Tempelhof Airport in West Berlin by a man who was, by arrangement from me, wearing a red carnation. I thought that would be a fine touch that I insisted upon, like some old spy movie or something. The man had his own car, if that's what it could be called, and we drove from the airport to Checkpoint Charlie, which at that time was the main entrance into East Berlin, but which is now a museum. Getting through the American gate was easy. The East German gate, not so much. We had to go through many different stations, and finally we reached the last station and were allowed to go on. The gate was opened, and we were about to drive off into the city of East Berlin when a guard came running out of the shack, yelling and waving. So, of course, we stopped. He had us back up, the gate was closed, and I thought we were in big trouble. Not really. He forgot to exchange my West German marks into East German marks, a useless currency outside of East Germany. Everyone had to exchange 10 marks. So, we did that and went through. That aside, the audition was easy and they offered me a contract on the spot. Subject to approval, of course, which I found out weeks later was not approved. The trip back through the checkpoint to West Berlin was noticeable in that the East German side, they tore this guy's car apart. I mean, literally, took it apart, took the back seats out, used mirrors underneath, checked the engine compartment. It took half an hour at least. But finally, when they were convinced that there was nobody hiding in his car someplace trying to escape to the west, we were allowed through. As I had not spent any of the money, I tried to exchange it back, but that was not allowed. Of course, because of the pandemic, most of these opera houses are closed until further notice. Verbringst du den Abend allein, hör die Musik und geh. Ein Kabarett ist unsere Welt, drum geh ins Kabarett. Nur so bezwingst du das Unglücklichsein, pfeif auf dein Renommee. 
Welt. Drum geh ins Cabaret. Komm, trink den Wein. Komm, hör die Band. Versuch ein Glas vom extra teuern. Denk nicht noch, fang an zu feiern. Auf einmal singst du und stimmst überein mit meinem Resümee. Ein Cabaret ist unsere Welt. Drum geh ins Cabaret. Last week we took a look at French Cabaret. Now I would like to take a brief look at its German counterpart. Imported from France about 1900, the first German Cabaret was established in Berlin. The intimate atmosphere, entertainment platform, and improvisational character of the French Cabaret was retained. But the German Cabaret developed its own characteristic gallows humor. Now there are some who believe the heart of Cabaret in Germany started in Munich, as here was the artistic center of Germany at the turn of the century. The degree of intimacy was greater here than in Berlin and facilitated the formation of and communication between small groups of artists with a common interest and purpose. By the late 1920s, the German Cabaret had come to feature mildly risque musical entertainment for the middle-class man as well as biting political and social satire. It was also a center for underground political and literary movements. Patronized by artists, writers, political revolutionaries, and intellectuals, the German cabarets were usually located in old cellars. The composers Paul Hindemith and Eric Satie and Kurt Weil, unknown at the time, were active in the cabarets. So also were the playwrights Bertolt Brecht and Frank Wedekind. They were the centers of leftist opposition to the rise of the German Nazi party and often experienced Nazi retaliation for their criticism of the government. The cabaret probably originated in France in the 1880s as a small club in which the audience was grouped around a platform or even a table, as is the case now at the La Pan Agile in Montmartre. The entertainment was a series of amateur acts linked together by a master of ceremonies. Its coarse humor was usually directed against the conventions of bourgeois society. The typical program, which first flourished in the Montmartre district of Paris at the tiny Chat Noir in 1881, listed poetry readings, shadow plays, songs, and comic skits. One of the first exponents, and perhaps its best known, was the Moulin Rouge. In the 1930s, Berlin was marked by economic depression, and to the left and right, politics became extremely polarized. In the cabaret, many of the acts softened their social and political comment, and it was left to the master of ceremonies to enhance the proceedings with the satirical edge that had become the cabaret's essence. The Elf Scharfrichter, or the Eleven Executioners, was Munich's first cabaret. The program began with the executioners dancing and singing grotesquely on stage, 
throwing their blooded robes around with abandon. This was followed by a mixture of chansons, recitations, puppet plays, dramatic pieces, and literary parodies. But perhaps the cabaret's most striking and influential figure was writer-performer and bad boy of Munich's avant-garde, Frank Vederkind. Schwabing, still a lively entertainment district in Munich, was also home for another early German cabaret, Simplissimus. Here Isidore Duncan is said to have danced naked on the tables. However, the prevailing spirit belonged to poetry, which displayed a lyrical playfulness while maintaining a tone sharply critical of Germany's arrogant nationalism. With the proclamation of the Weimar Republic came the end of censorship. In reaction against the old regime, Berlin reveled in its newfound permissiveness and became Germany's cosmopolitan capital. In this atmosphere, cabarets blossomed everywhere. Ich war jung, Gottes 16 Jahre. Du kamest von Burma herauf. Du sagtest, ich solle mit dir gehen. Du kämest für alles auf. Ich fragte nach deiner Stellung. Du sagtest, so war ich hier stehen. Du hättest zu tun mit der Eisenbahn und nicht zu tun mit der See. Du sagtest viel, Johnny. Kein Wort war wahr, Johnny. Du hast mich betrogen, Johnny, zur ersten Stunde. Ich hasse dich so, Johnny, wie du da stehst und grinst, Johnny. Nimm doch die Pfeife aus dem Maul, du Hund. The young Bertolt Brecht was drawn to Cabaret as an exciting means of expression which was dynamic and popular and had none of the elitism which remarked the established theater. Brecht wrote a number of songs, or Moritaten, for both the cabaret and for his own theatrical work. His collaboration with Kurt Weil produced some of the most memorable songs of the period, especially notable Die Drei Groschen Oper, or Three Penny Opera, though at the time a groschen was really worth a dime, the songs Mac the Knife, Pirate Jenny, the Alabama Song, and Surabaya Johnny were the songs of an underclass striving to rise up against the elitists. Much of what constitutes Brechtian theater derives from the cabaret format. In 1933, when Hitler took power, cabaret was one of the first victims of Nazi terror. Some writers and performers were arrested and taken to concentration camps, and others left Germany for America or other parts of Europe. The few who tried to return to Cabaret after the war found that it had lost the zest, the vitality and bite that had made it such a remarkable force during the early part of the century. Does that mean Cabaret in Germany is dead? Well, not completely, but almost. The Cabaret survived in post-World War II Germany as a form for topical satire, but it had lost most of its political significance. Perhaps one can see what it was really like in the cabaret of 1930s. In the musical show Cabaret, it portrayed the 1930s German cabaret as it was inspired by Anglo-American writer Christopher Isherwood's Berlin stories. And that is what makes me angry. Hast. 
Doch an der ganzen langen Küste warst du ein bekannter Gast. Eines Morgens in einem Sixpence-Bett werde ich donnern, hören die See. Und du gehst, ohne etwas zu sagen, und dein Schiff liegt unten am Kai. Du hast kein Herz, Johnny. Du bist ein Schuft, Johnny. Du gehst jetzt weg, Johnny. Sag mir den Grund. Ich liebe dich doch, Johnny. Wie am ersten Tag, Johnny. Nimm doch die Pfeife aus dem Maul, du Hund. Surabaya, Johnny. Warum bist du so rot? Surabaya, Johnny. Gott und ich liebe dich so. So dabei, Johnny, warum bin ich nicht froh? Du hast kein Herz, Johnny, und ich liebe dich so. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder, The Angry Tenor goes live every Monday evening at 7 p.m. Now, I'd like to hear from you. So if you would send your comments to heldentenore at att.net. That's heldentenore at att.net. Let me know in your email if you would like to have this broadcast on the podcast, and I'll do it. If not, I won't. So, I'm John Sayers, and I am the Angry Tenor. <laughs> Yeah!